Change rarely occurs rapidly. Rather, it unfolds gradually, intricately, and woven into the fabric of society. This intricate process is often propelled by individuals like our esteemed guest, Paul Saldana. On this episode of the Latino Business Report, we delve into the imperative of consistently striving to instigate constructive transformation within our Latino community. Guided by the principles of courage, tenacity, and purpose, Paul Saldana embodies a resolute way of life. Throughout this episode, we will explore diverse instances showcasing how Paul, along with others, pays homage to our Latino history by championing and embodying fellow Latinos to shape their destiny through active participation and civic engagement. Welcome to the Latino Business Report. This podcast covers business, people, and issues of the day from a Latino perspective. The Latino Business Report is brought to you by TAMAC, the Texas Association of Mexican-American Chambers of Commerce. TAMAC is the leading Hispanic business organization in Texas since 1975. Now for your host, J.R. Gonzalez. Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about the importance of advocacy and how one person can make a difference, not only in your, in your own life, but in the life of others. Today's guest is Paul Saldana, longtime advocate, longtime friend. Paul, how you been doing? Good. Good to see you, JR. Thanks for having me on today. Good to, ha- good to have you here, Paul. Paul, you have been a, um, I know recently you just received the Embarientos Lifetime Achievement Reward, but Paul, we're so young. How can they start giving us, I mean, usually when you think of lifetime achievement, you feel of somebody that's old and gray and about to retire, but you're not gray. You're not old. Well, you could be gray if you still had your hair, but I know, I know. <laughs> Same here, buddy. It's, go, it's going fast. So, uh, Paul, tell us a little bit about what you do, and we want to get into it. And for, for listeners of this episode, we're going to be talking about the importance of advocacy, especially in the Latino community and how you can actually make a difference to make a change, not only in your own life, but in the life of others. Well, thanks, JR. Thanks for uh, the intro. And again, thanks for having me on. You know, I'm going to actually be 57 in October of this year. So my children remind me every day uh, that I'm getting older uh, in age. But uh, uh, I'm a proud native Austinite, born and raised. My family has now been here for six generations in Austin, my great grand, my great great grandfather Santos Saldana was born here in Austin in 1888, and wow. uh, my oldest grandson, who's now three and a half, was born in 2019. So we're six generations strong now here in Austin. Definitely have some roots uh, in Austin, Texas. Paul, 57, not bad. It's kind of a, the name of a, a steak sauce, but okay, <laughs> okay. As I tell people, age is a matter of mind. And as long as you don't mind, it doesn't matter. Exactly. Exactly. So, I know every time I have a birthday, people go, well, Jared, how do you feel? I go, I'm just, <laughs> I was just glad I was able to sit up in bed and my feet hit the floor. I'm happy. <laughs> uh, but, uh, Paul, advocacy. Now, I know you've uh, been doing it. You've always been out there on the forefront. And you've actually built a business around it. So tell us a little bit about your, your company, what it does, and then we'll kind of get into some of why you do it. Yeah, thank you, JR. So I've been involved in public relations, communications, multicultural community engagements, what we're calling it these days now for 
Uh, you can imagine almost 30 years now. Uh, as I mentioned, born and raised here in Austin. Um, you know, I started my career at the city uh, probably in the late 1980s, working at the Health and Human Services Department. Um, it's an interesting story. I got hired as an as a temporary employee in the warehouse while I was making my way through college. And uh, basically, you know, I had uh, a very exciting job of sorting the mail for the Health and Human Services Department. I found a old typewriter in the warehouse because uh, on day one, I decided I didn't like the way they were sorting the mail, their process. So I typed up a memo and said, here's going to be the new process and how we disseminate mail. And so I made copies, put them in all the inboxes. And the next day, there was a tall woman who came in, fair skin, heavy accent. Um, she came into the room into the mail room, kind of looked me once over and she said, uh, do you know who wrote this? And she was holding up the memo that I had written. And I said, yes, ma'am, I did. And so she said, follow me. And I said, oh, okay, I guess I'm, I've lasted two days on the job. So she took me down a long hallway. And as we're walking down the hall, I see a door that says office of the director, Dr. Sobert Murphy. And it turned out that she was the health authority for Austin, Travis County and the director for health and human services. And she said, starting today, you work for me. And so she gave me a job and I became what was called the single point of contact, the SPOC. And all the SPOCs for city departments would handle um, all of the complaints or requests for information from city hall, be it the mayor and council offices, the city manager's office. And that kind of became my uh, accidental introduction into politics and city policies, if you will. And then eventually I got recruited uh, by former city manager, Tobu Futrell, who I met uh, years before, and she hired myself. Uh, and I ended up working for uh, 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 Camille Barnett, our city manager, and worked for several assistant city managers and eventually uh, found my way uh, into the office of then council member uh, Gustavo Gus Garcia. I think I started working for him in 1992 and uh, proud to say that I, I was able to work with him for over 10 years through the majority of his tenure on the city council when he was a council member, the mayor pro tem. And then eventually he became um, our mayor. I, I actually was his campaign director and ran his campaign when he went for mayor in 2001 and uh, had no interest in going back to work at City Hall. You know, back in the day, uh, council aides made uh, probably $2 an hour, if you think into all the time that we had to put in. <laughs> so I wasn't right. exactly uh, eager to go back and make the $2 an hour. But uh, Marina, his wife, can convinced me. She said, look, you know, Gus's success is having you in the office and we need you. And so I, I agreed to. And so was honored to serve as his chief of staff. You know, Gus, I was very fortunate to get to know him and work with him, certainly like a father figure to me, another father and certainly had a significant impact in my in my life as a mentor, as did my parents. And and, you know, through the course of my years in his office, really taught me the importance of being involved in the community, especially as someone like me who grew up here in Austin, you know, talked about the importance of, of being involved uh, in the community. And, you know, that's those are words that I live by. You know, I, I before we, we went on air, we were talking about my, my personal mantra is how are you going to lead with courage, tenacity, and purpose? And, and I'm fortunate that I have my own business, which is public relations, community engagement. A lot of it is Latino public policy work. So I'm able to do advocacy work, do volunteer work in the community and at the same time, earn a living through the work that I do with, with my firm called Saldana Public Relations. 
So you actually um, work for you is not a four letter word. It's actually your passion. It, it is. It is. And how lucky we are. And I think the other part of it is too, I inherit this from my mom. And I think my mom would agree is uh, I'm not one to conform very well, JR. I think you and I have that in common. And so <laughs> I like to be my own boss because I don't think that I can work for anyone. And uh, so I like to do, uh, you know, what my... Um, what my passion leads me to. And again, I'm, I'm fortunate that I have a, a balance between personal life and work life that, uh, that there's a lot of commonality and similarities that allows me to do all of those things. So Paul, I'm not quite sure how to take that. You say we have that in common. So are you saying I don't get along well with others or people don't like working with me or what, what are you trying to say here, Paul? Is that we like to be uh, march to our own beat, beat and drum and, and, uh, and that, uh, <laughs> You know we're going to do what we're going to do, and so that that's how it is. You know we're risk taking. That that is that's very true. Tell us to do one thing, and we'll probably do the opposite. Exactly. Um, okay, so good. Okay, from the mail room, almost getting fired. Thought you were getting fired <laughs> two days into the mail room, and you went from the mail room into into politics, into the into the lion's den, if you will. So, uh, how how old were you? How old were you at that time again? Gosh, that was in 1988. Uh, I was prob I was 24, 23, 24. Uh, started working at City Hall in in my mid 20s, uh, and I left Gus's office in 2002. So that was uh, 21 years ago, and I'm going to be 57. So, you know, in my early 20s yeah. to 30s, and so I'm very proud of that. Now that walk that walk down that hallway following that lady, you must have been. Your your back end must have puckered up, going, "What the hell's going uh -oh. on here? Why am I in?" Yes, I can only I can only imagine what must have been going through your head. <laughs> exactly. So, but it, it fortunately for me, it, it had a good happy ending. <laughs> well, good, good, good. Paul, you've been involved in in politics for a long time, and one of the things that uh, just for the listeners' edification, Paul's experience has been in Austin, Texas, and this uh, Latino uh, business report is coming out of Austin, Texas. Um, so there's going to be a lot of references to that, but we do have, Paul, listeners all over the country and in different parts of the world. In fact, I was checking my analytics this morning, and we have some new listeners in the Netherlands and Bangladesh. Uh, guys, if you're listening out there, hello. Send, send us a message. I'd love to hear from you. More important, why the heck are you listening to us? But I'm glad you are. So uh, as, we're as we're talking about this, Paul, you mentioned Gus Garcia. Now, just for kind of a historical reference, if I'm not mistaken, Gus was a part of what was called, what, the Brown Machine back in the, uh, what, late 60s? Right. Early 70s? Late 60s and 70s. So um, uh, there was a group called the, the Brown Machine, and actually the original. Well, they were, they were, they didn't name it, they were dubbed the Brown Machine, I think, when in the press called them that, where we had, what, There's this five five Latinos running for public office at the same time? It was a story, yeah, behind that. And so uh, so it actually started by accident. Uh, we had what was called the um, a local strike. Uh, there was a, a, a place called the Economy Furniture Place where the majority of employees were Mexican-American and had not received a salary increase in over 15 years. I think the average salary was less than $2 an hour. So that was the majority. Uh, the majority of wow. the employees were Mexican-American. And so they made a decision that it was time for them to potentially consider unionizing, if you will. And so uh, they decided to go on strike uh, uh, until, you know, the owners of the economy furniture location would give them more competitive salary, salaries and benefits. And, um, and there were actually a lot of women who worked there, a lot of Mexican-American women who worked there. 
And so I think that became an opportunity. And this, of course, is right in the middle of the civil rights movement. Cesar Chavez was doing a lot of his strikes uh, for the farm workers, uh, asking for fair wages. And so I, I think, you know, the timing was right. And so we had people like uh, Richard Moya, Gonzalo Barrientos, John Trevino, and then eventually Gus. Gus uh, is originally from Zapata, Texas, and moved here to Austin in the 1950s. But uh, he eventually met up with those three uh, and had his own story of, you know, how he got accidentally into uh, politics. But uh, they used the strike at the economy, economy furniture to basically seek representation because back then uh, there were no Mexican-Americans or Latinos on the Austin City Council, on the Travis County Commissioner's Court, on the Austin ISD School Board of Trustees. And so they sought this as an opportunity to pursue uh, um, you know, a position. Uh, John Trevino ran for for city council. He lost. Richard Moya ran for county commissioner. Uh, he won and became our first Mexican American elected as a county commissioner in Travis County. Uh, Gonzalo Barrientos ran for state representative in 1975, and he ran. John Trevino ran again, and then he was successful right after Gonzalo in running for um, Austin City Council. Gus. Garcia became the first Mexican-American elected to the school board in 1972. And so by default, they became sort of known as the Brown Machine. And the story was during the strike, uh, Moya uh, had a, uh, he was a printer and he worked in a print shop and he had an old printing machine. And uh, it was one of those old printing machines that you would have to crank by hand to spit out copies of certain images and so, you know, that's how sort of, it was a brown machine. And so that's how they were dubbed the brown machine. <laughs> they went door to door around the community and talked about the importance of we lacked representation. And the only way that we were going to be able to improve, you know, our quality of life was to, uh, you know, get involved, you know, register people to vote, vote, and then let, elect uh, people who look like us uh, to to be office. And a lot of the initial grassroots work was done because they were able to crank out copies of flyers through that brown machine and that sort of story uh, of the brown machine. I mean, doggone. Yeah. Well, interesting story. And they did it because they recognized there wasn't enough Hispanic Latino representation. And we've been a, ma a majority minority state since 2014, I believe. But um, according to the U.S. Census, which we always knew it, but they finally got caught up with us. We are now, Hispanics are now the largest demographic in the state of Texas. But Paul, even though we're the largest, do we have the representationship we need? No, we don't. We're far from it. And you're right. So right now, over 50% of all Texans, 18 years and younger, are Latino. And so here in our community, for example. Okay, stop, stop, stop. One more time. Over What was that? Over 50% of all Texans, 18 years and younger, are Latino. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so to put in perspective, like here in Austin, Travis County, where, where you and I live, uh, one in two kids are Latino and one in three adults are, are Latino. And so uh, I, I think what we're getting to and what you and I have talked about many, uh, many times before, before and, and certainly uh, a conversation within our community is from, from a demographic perspective, we're there in numbers, but that hasn't necessarily equated to power and influence. And what I mean by that is the number of elected officials that we have. So I think nationwide uh, here in Austin, in, in the United States, we have a national organization called NALEO, the National mm -hmm. Elected Appointed Officials. 
And according to their data, Latinos only represent a little more than 1% of all the elected officials um, nationwide, uh, statewide, and local. And so obviously that does not, um, uh, are, you know, basically uh, uh, transcend to right. representation. Uh, I mean, here, here, here in Texas, we're over 40% of the population, and yet only 1%. Uh, representation ship and nationally latinos are what um uh, 14 13 14 percent uh 15 percent depending on who you talk to the population yes. and still only one percent representation yeah yeah so that's pretty dismal and you know that gets back to where we started our conversation about you know advocacy you know politics aside people don't really enjoy especially nowadays just given given where we are in the state of politics can often be a very difficult conversation to have. But I mean, but if you think about it, if you think about our quality of life, everything that we face uh, in our daily lives, unfortunately, a lot of that is directly impacted by decisions made by elected officials on the law. By other, by other yeah, people. Yeah, by other people, right? And so, you know, we really need to work on as a community, uh, educating our communities about the importance of uh, voter education, voter information, the importance of registering our people, and then actually voting. More data. I, I'll give you, again, bringing it back here to, to Austin. So in Austin, Travis County, Latinos are about 34% of the population. That means we have about uh, 460,000 Latinos in Austin, Travis County. But if you look at who's actually voting, of that number, we have about 220,000 Latinos who are considered to be citizen voting age eligible in Travis County. But if you start even looking at the numbers even further, only half, well, about 35%, 75,000 people here in Austin, Travis County that are Latino are actually voting regularly in local elections. And then it gets more dismal. Uh, Let's talk about the last three primary elections as an example. Only 44% of eligible Latinos voted in the last three primary elections. So that's a huge number of folks that in our community that are not voting. voting. And so it gets back to what we're talking about, the demographics, right? And everything. All right. Well, Paul, let me, let me, let me interrupt you for a second. Why are they, why? And I know this is kind of a historical thing and I kind of have my own version of an answer, but in your opinion, why do Latinos not vote? Why are they not going to the polls and casting that ballot? Well, you know, I think I think that that remains um, a, a big question. But what I can point to is, and we can talk about the state of Texas, right? Is uh, the 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 difficulty um, that it is that our community is subjected to when it comes to voting? Uh, it's very difficult. Um, you know, the policies, legislative policies, and new state laws make it very difficult for uh, those who historically have been disenfranchised, black and brown individuals in particular. Uh, So example, you know, we have, uh, if your voter registration name doesn't uh, match your uh, ID, uh, foreign identification, uh, it's not unusual for Latinos to have nicknames. And then, you know, we have, everybody has a uh, a Tio Cuco, right? But his real name is Refugio, right? And so, People just has to stay on. And so then, you know, next thing you know, our Tio Refugio has a a Texas ID or ID that just says Cuco, 
Cuco Gonzalez instead of Refugio. So when he goes to vote and the voter registration card says Refugio Gonzalez, but his driver's license says Cuco Gonzalez, well, guess what? You're not able to vote. Texas law makes it very difficult and have very stringent requirements that say you have to, certain things need to match. So that's unfortunately part of the um, the challenges that we have here in Texas and you know, and other, not only in Texas, but across the U.S., that voter suppression and policies and laws that make it very difficult for our community to vote. Also, the, you know, where polling locations are located. Historically, you're not going to find many voting uh, polling locations in predominantly Latino poor neighborhoods. Again, they make it very difficult. I, I think the other it is also from the perspective that we have to own it and take responsibility for it. So, you know, one of the things I always talk about is we should make voting part of our cultural traditions. You know, I have four sons and all my four sons will tell you my oldest one is 31. The youngest one is 10. And I have two in between. They will all tell you that uh, they go they go with mom or dad. They go with us to go vote. They go with us to fundraisers. They go with us to put up a political campaign signs. So that has been part of our uh, cultural tradition that. That's the way we raise our boys. And I and I think that's it's incumbent upon all of us to to also make sure that our young people in particular uh, learn the importance of that because God, I mean, you know, we owe it to ourselves, to each other, uh, and to our young people in particular to sort of foster that hard work and spirit and progress from our past. Because, you know, we think about our ancestors and and the and the hard work they they did uh for you know the fight for civil rights to make sure that we would have a voice and have an opportunity to vote. And we can't take that for granted. So I think in order for us to honor our past, uh, we have to do a better job in making sure that all of us get out there and, and assume our civic responsibility and vote. And I think that's key. And, and first of all, congratulations for doing that. And, and to your, to your sons for being actively participating in the political process. But a lot of people don't, there's a lot of folks that just, kind of blow it off and say, ah, I hate politics. And I remind them, get more than three people together and you have politics. That happens in your household, that happens at work, that happens everywhere. But at the same time, you're not going to see significant change unless, as you said, we become involved. Mm -hmm. We need to have that courage, tenacity to get out there and get involved in the process. And as you said, not only taking care of yourselves, but taking care of each other. Because even though we have the numbers, until our community, the Latino community, starts working together, we're never gonna we're never gonna make any headway. Have we made a lot of headway? Absolutely. But unfortunately, Paul, as you mentioned, the numbers with like in Austin, I'm seeing what something you sent me in Austin. Uh, over seventy percent of the Latinos are under the age of eighteen. Seventy percent. Right. Now, when they become voting age and they get, you know, I can see a future. But right now, there's a lot of folks and even young voting age Latinos today that don't recognize the history. They don't really know whose shoulders they're standing on, and they don't know some of the um, difficulties people our age and, and older had to go through growing up. Yeah, a so, yeah absolutely, absolutely. So how do we, and, and, and I think it was key that you said the culture, because the culture is key. In, instill it into the culture, and then we can hopefully start making some changes. But how do we get that process of recognizing that voting is important and adding that to the culture along with all the other 
things that are, that occur within the community. Oh yeah, absolutely. And every opportunity that I get to talk to young people uh, in our community, you know, I I, I talk about, um, you know, in in order to move our community forward, it's uh, it's important to remember where we've been as a community and to what we're saying, you know, our ancestors and those who came before us and to fight for civil rights. There, there's also uh, a pretty poignant Cesar Chavez quote that I reference all the time that talks about how we cannot seek achievement for ourselves and forget about the progress and prosperity of our community and the ambitions, our ambitions really as a community to be broad enough to include the aspirations and needs of others. Uh, and, and for me, that always inspires me to, to be involved. Um, you know, I started uh, a group called ABLA Hispanic advocates, business leaders of Austin a little over 25 years ago. Uh, yeah. And it's based on the concept of, really what you and I are doing now, we're having a, a conversation or a platica as we call it. And of course, in true Texas fashion, we, we make it more interesting because it's usually platicas that we have over a cup of cafecito and taquitos. Right. And so that became a mantra that has been very successful for over 25 years. Now, Abla is a informal think tank group, if you will, in forum, and it's made up of local Latino, Hispanic community and business leaders and we're committed to discussing and developing sustainable solutions on, you know, current affairs, whether it's a public policy that the council or, or governing board here in Austin, Travis County is contemplating, uh, because we know at the end of the day, the outcome is going to impact our quality uh, of life. And so uh, I like our monthly platicas. We we meet at this place called One in Millions in the heart of East Austin the last Wednesday of every month. And, uh, you know, sometimes we get people in the room from our community uh, who can't always be in the same room together. You know, that's another challenge for in conversation. Maybe we can take another day, but you know, I think uh, just to kind of back up a little bit, I think the other thing that's important to, to point out is that as a Latino community, we're not a monolith, right? We're very diverse. We have at least 25 right. years here in Austin of different Latinos. And sometimes we have a tendency to operate in silos. I think there's also a generational disconnect. We, you, you threw out the statistics, about here in Austin, 70% of Latinos are under the age of 18. So they're in a hurry to get somewhere. And then the older folks in our community are, it's despacito, right? A, 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 <laughs> and sometimes that creates a generational gaps and sometimes it creates silos. So w- when we have our habla platicas, JR, depending on the on the subject matter and who's in the room, we, we have to establish ground rules. And we say, yeah, everybody check their egos at the door you have to be committed to active listening and learning titles here don't matter we can spend the next 90 minutes um you know complaining about everything that's wrong happening in our community or we can be we can uh really be committed to to developing sustainable solutions on the short term and long term about how these pending policy decisions could impact our lives and and what's our call to action getting back to what I said earlier how how are we as individuals and as a community going to lead with courage, tenacity, and purpose. And I think that is our responsibility that we should share with one another and certainly um, as a community. Absolutely, Paul. And one of the things, too, to add to that is, and I know you're doing because I've seen you lead by example, with that uh, courage, tenacity, and purpose, it's not just about yourself. It's just not about you. It's taking care of other people. And until that really happens, I mean, 
as you know, I've been in Washington, D.C. for about nine years. When I left, you know, Austin was Austin, East Austin, as you said, you know, primarily Hispanic. Uh, but after I came back, I just saw what was sad was the gentrification of East Austin. And as I go through there now and I, I look at listings, when I see a lot for a small house, and we're not talking acreage, we're talking a small lot in one of the streets in East Austin that maybe, you know, 15, 20 years ago would go for maybe ten, fifteen thousand dollars is now going for nine hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it's insane. It I just can't imagine the people, especially the older ones who have lived in East Austin all their life, the pain they must go through to have to be forced out of their homes that they've had maybe for generations. But it's it's alive, it's real, and it's stuff like this that people need to get involved in because where where are those people that are being displaced, Paul? Where do they go? Yeah. I mean, it, don't get me started, but in Austin, it seems like we give more care to the homeless than our than people who have been here for for generations. Yeah, that, it it that's it's very it makes no sense to me. Yeah, that that's a that's a very painful reality. I mentioned, of course, uh, I'm native Austin, born and raised. You know, my parents bought the house where I grew up in as a as a kid uh, on Riverview Street, which is in the heart of East Austin, just a block away from Lady Bird Lake. My parents bought that house in 1968 for $5,600. Today, that property is $5,600. $5, yes, sir. And today, that property oh, is gosh. worth almost a million dollars. Unfortunately, the house I grew uh, that I grew up in was torn down years ago to make way for uh, two condos. I think that are there now. But you're right. You know, the whole displacement and gentrification. Um, is uh, part of our painful history here uh, in in Austin. And so many Latinos have been uh, displaced uh, here. And, you know, certainly we're talking about our, our population while it continues to grow. You know, the, the sad reality is, you know, of course our Latino population here in Austin is also growing, but we represent a lower percentage of the overall population because we have been displaced. We have been pushed out into further out to the Eastern Crescent outside the city of Austin uh, city limits. And we're beginning to now experience what our friends in the African-American community experienced years ago. At one point we had, you know, 15 or 16% African-American population. It's below 7% or 8% now. And we're now seeing that uh, with our Latino community, which gets back to what we're talking about, the importance of being involved, being a community advocate, uh, using your voice um, to to make sure that uh, you know the concerns and and the lived experiences that we're uh, experiencing now uh, that we do do things from a from a policy perspective to mitigate right. negative impacts. And that most basic participation is voting. I mean that that is that's a duty. That that's not. That's beyond responsibility. I mean, that is a duty that everybody should have that's an American citizen to go vote. And as Latinos, we have to instill, as you said, and I like the idea of instilling it somehow in our culture that voting is part of what we do. And if we don't do it, I mean, the only people who are going to suffer are, are ourselves. I mean, we're just hurting ourselves by not getting to the polls. With, with that said, Paul, there seems to be a struggle between, uh, and first of all, let me preface it by saying I'm. Um, and I don't care what person's Democrat, Republican, you know, uh, libertarian, vegetarian. Just vote. Just vote. Get out and vote your convictions and your conscience. But there's a struggle, and as and as we see all the political rhetoric going back and forth, 
between, you know, the Democrats and Republicans vying for that Latino vote because they're seeing the numbers. And they recognize for their own sustainability and survival, they need to get a percentage of those of Latinos under their party tent for them to, to survive. Historically, Demo uh, Democrats have had the advantage of, of a lot of Latino uh, votes or the population. But then, too, in my opinion, I think that the Democrats sometimes just take Latinos for granted. Whereas the Republicans say, no, your ideas and beliefs are more in line with us. You need to come over here. Well, that's good for political rhetoric to get them signed up and voting. But when it comes to their actions, it's completely opposite. So how, how do you see that struggle between the, the Dems and, uh, the, and the, the GOP, Paul, uh, vying for that uh, Hispanic vote and, and participation? Well, I think you're right. And, and I, think, uh, I think the way maybe our parents would call it is the atole con el dedo, right? They are sort of <laughs> hindering to us. And, you know, I think a lot of uh, uh, politicians and campaigns, to your point, Democrat or Republican, think that a simple translation, Spanish translation of their political platform is basically uh, outreach to the Latino community, and that's not. You know, we want to see uh, political platforms and policies that really speak to our lived experiences as Latinos. And so, uh, you know, I, I talked about habla, uh, and one of the things that we did uh, a couple of years ago is we started a, a political action committee. It's nonpartisan. Uh, it's called Habla y Vota. And what our political action committee has really just been focusing on is what we're, you and I are talking about today. Um, voter education, voter uh, information, voter registration. So what we do and what we've learned is speaking about our lived experiences. We go to the churches. We go to cultural events in the community. We go to the grocery stores. We go to the Latino barrios. And what we're doing is we're registering people one by one to vote. Uh, and I'm proud to say that over the last couple of years in particular, we have probably single-handedly registered between three and 5,000 Latinos in Austin, Travis County. Now, where that not, may not be a significant number, I think you all will know very well that in some of these elections, it could come down to one vote or a couple hundred votes. And if we played a part in helping somebody get over that threshold and we were the ones who got that one person registered to vote who made who who basically influenced the outcome uh, of that election, then we have done our work. There's still a lot more work that we need to do in 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 that regard. But that is something that that uh, we do um, uh, on a regular basis. I'm real proud of that. Again, another saying by Cesar Chavez that I like to refer to about we don't need perfect political systems. We need perfect participation. And really, that's what it comes down to for our community. We need perfect participation. So, Paul, for the listeners, what can they do to become more involved? How can they advocate for, for the Latino community and, of course, themselves as well? Well, again, it just gets down to knowing. I mean, it's cliche to say, but that one person and one voice can make a difference. But the reality is, is it can. So, you know, it just takes one individual to be inspired. Um, and so if they're not going to do it for themselves, you know, if they have uh, children or grandchildren and thinking about their future, you know, all of us want the lives of our children and grandchildren to be better than ours. That's what our parents aspired for us. Uh, and so I, I think if you put it in that perspective, and again, just because we represent such a large portion of the population in the U.S. and in here in Texas. And so we we have we have the 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 power, honestly, to to make a difference, just making sure that 
We, we educate our families again, make voting part of our cultural traditions, uh, you know, to, to do that. And, and that gets back to the question where that we use to start off our conversation today, JR is how are you going to lead with courage, tenacity, and purpose? And if something matters to you personally, then it should matter for your children and your grandchildren. Absolutely. Paul, you know what I've, I've been familiar with, I've loved for a number of years now, but unfortunately because of um, travel and other things, I have not had a chance to attend, but you said you meet on the, what, the last Wednesday of every yeah, month? Yeah, the last Wednesday of every month uh, from 7.30 to 9. It's early morning, 7.30 to 8. It's whoa, 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 7.30 a.m.? 7.30 a.m., yes, 7.30 a.m. In- <laughs> no, wonder, no wonder I haven't gone to him before. Okay. Well, that's I'm, we, I'm a late sleeper. Well, that's why we say the cafecito. Well, cafecito, taquito, and there's another important, important element, and that is the cafecito and taquitos happen from 7.38, but also the cheese happens from 7.30 to 8. So, and then the lax the last 50 minutes, <laughs> we have deep conversations. Okay. Well, for, for, for good cheese, man, I guess it's worth getting up early. <laughs> but uh, I'm definitely going to uh, plan on trying to attend some of those, Paul. I'm very interested. And, Paul, thank you and congratulations for not only the recent accolades, but also you did, and others, because I know it wasn't single-handed, but you took the point, did an amazing job during the pandemic of making sure that a lot of our community had the opportunity to be vaccinated and no telling how many lives you and your group probably saved, but I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for that and acknowledge that it's beyond politics, but it's actually getting out there, rolling up your sleeves and getting out there with the people and the grassroots and explaining things to them in such a way that they understand that they can make their own choices. So thanks again for that. Well, I appreciate that, JR. And thank you for creating a forum for us to have these conversations uh, and I think you're leading by example because of the fact that uh, our voices are not represented on podcasts uh, across the U.S. and across uh, the world. And so creating a space and a forum to make sure that our voices and lived experiences are heard uh, is very, very important. So thank you for your leadership and hard work. Oh, you're you're quite welcome. And to the listeners and in, in um the Netherlands and uh, Bangladesh. I mean, who knows? We may have something in common with them, but that's what it's all about is communicating and, and talking about our stories and learning from each other. So Paul, thank you. We're, we're about out of time. Folks, once again, you've been listening to Latino Business Report. My name is J.R. Gonzalez. I'm your host. Um, you can find all of our episodes at the latinobusinessreport.com. On that website, there's also avenues that you can communicate with us directly. Always interested in getting some new podcast ideas and always interested um, from hearing from you. You can go to latinobusinessreport.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. I just ask that you give us a like, make a comment. We're very interested in your input. Um, We also have our complete library of work on YouTube under the same name, Latino Business Report. And with that, we'll go ahead and end. And as Paul said, courage, tenacity, and purpose. That's what makes the difference. And guys, I'm going to tell you what. Take that step. Start moving in that direction because, as you heard, at the top, especially in the political arenas, there's not that much representation. So there's plenty of room for more of us to get up there and start making a change, not only at the grassroots, but the grass tops. Thank you very much. Have a great day.